Welcome to Thought Speak, a podcast dedicated to the discussion of K.A. Applegate's 1996 book series, Animorphs. My name is Coleman. And my name is Mitchell. And what up, everybody? It's good to be back. Uh, Bringing in the new year in February. Late, late February. Hey, whatever it takes to get uh, some more episodes out. That's what we're all about. Oh, yeah. You could say, could you say that this is our arrival back onto the scene? Absolutely. And what better book to come back from such a uh, hiatus for? Uh, I got to say, this, is, this has been one of the uh, best books that we've had of late. I, I was looking through yeah. our past uh, catalog and uh, not feeling very impressed until arriving at this little gem in the rough. I, re- I really thought that our podcast would peak at the Atlantis episode. Like, it would be our our big episode where we're like, oh, this book everybody slams is actually amazing, and these subplots and metaphors are incredible, and it ended up being just a real crap book, um, which disappointed me. Um, and I still so. quite enjoyed it, for the most part. <laughs> Did you? Okay. Well, that's, that's nice of you. Significantly um, more than the Starfish episode, yes. <laughs> No, I th- I thought the Starfish episode had some good ideas. Maybe it wasn't the strongest plot, and it wasn't written super well, but it it had some had some good concepts in there. In starfish and and multiple starfish. Well, I'm just Things glad like that, that uh, I'm glad that ThoughtSpeak is uh, back on its feet, and we can bring you these kind of uh, dorky discussions. And it is made entirely possible. Uh, thanks to our very loyal, very dedicated Patreon subscribers, which you can always become a Patreon subscriber for us. It's patreon.com slash thoughtspeak. Uh, and those people we need to thank because they make this show possible by donating. And they are John Maz, Ben Freeman, Noah Troutman, Jennifer Baker, James Miola, Tim Maheen, Kendra. Uh, Kendra loves seeing that uh, awkward... Uh, school photo of the child holding the Animorphs book on our Patreon uh, page. Very, very funny. Uh, Kevin Kosklausi, great. Uh, Tony Pazak, Pazak, Spencer, David C., Kelly Brown, Daniel Martinoli, Nina Labrada Gaffaro, Michael Blemick, and Sorrent Joyce. All of you make this entire podcast possible, and we couldn't thank you enough. Coleman, praise them. <laughs> yes, very good people. Um, <laughs> you, you can't. I, I was blown away by your segue into that segment. I was stunned. I couldn't even talk. I, I uh, just I had to so get it clean. out very quickly so that we could move into like actually talking about other things. Yes, but either way, we we really appreciate all the support, guys. You know, you know we're good for it when we get into those breaks uh that we were not on the air and you know we're always coming back we're not gonna we're not gonna just stop we've got so many books left and they're only getting better and better uh so we we thank you again for your support and let's let's jump into this book this this book that uh if you can't tell we we may or may not have thoroughly enjoyed absolutely and uh if you haven't uh gathered yet by the title of this episode we are talking about animorphs number 38 the arrival the one with uh what looks like axe turning into tobias on the front cover a very uh, i think dead for a couple days tobias they've they've done some awkward um bird morphs 
on the cover of these things, but just a bird standing straight up with its wings kind of arched, I think is a new low. It's uh, it's definitely a representation of a hawk like illustration. Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't know what else to say about these things. I mean, it's one of the same stock photos of X that they've been using. You know, it's like they don't even try to repose him or redraw him or anything like that. Um, the the quote, um, I don't know when this happened. I think this might be the book where this happened or maybe a book ago where the uh, the quote on the front cover actually kind of alludes to something from the plot, which is a nice change. It's, it's, it's all I want from those little blurbs. I mean, it's it's such a good spot when they do it right. It's such a good spot to like entice you into the book. Um, and, and when it's not a super awkward, barely relevant, like catchphrase, they're trying to start, um, <laughs> right? Change your clothes, but can you change your mind? I honestly think they're just <laughs> time traveled tweets from Jaden Smith. Um, most of them. Well, anyway, this one says Andalites have reached earth. Will Axe leave the Animorphs? Hey, boom. There we go. That's an attention grabber right there. Good job, team. Um, I'd, I'd like you, to move into the inside cover real quick. Oh, let's let's slide right into it because it's, like I said, a pretty bland Axe transformation there. Yeah. Oh, well, just to say one more thing about the outside. I think the color scheme is good. Um you don't get a lot of green Animorphs books unless there's like an alligator on the cover or something. And uh, I think this is a nice, pleasant looking kind of foresty uh, color scheme and, and background. It's, it's not bad. It's not terrible. It's just unfortunate that the uh, watch Animorphs on TV stamp has got to grace the cover of every book from here to the end of the series from now well, on. In this, in this particular one, I think it's actually just a sensor bar for Axe's... Um, unmentionable <laughs> that could possibly be all right uh, inside anyway, cover inside cover uh so I, I love that they just really wanted you know of all the scenes of the book I, if if you're familiar with a japanese manga uh you know that there's a tradition within manga that when when a book becomes popular or it really catches a fan base they give the author the chance to do color versions of an opening scene or a cold open or something something really cool to show characters all all cool drawn and and colored for the first time and stuff like that so really taking from that the animorphs marketing team decided to show a parking lot um with the awkward axe morph and a crow uh, which it looks like twice the size of Axe's morph, um, <laughs> and and if you if you look at this parking lot, you'll see it's just a random hodgepodge of three uh, D rendered uh, Ferraris and cars from the nineteen fifties Cuba, and uh, <laughs> it looks like we got a, a DeLorean in there. I, I, yeah, I see that too. And I like how most of the parking lot and most of the scenery is just obscured by random shrubs and trees. Yeah, and then you got some photorealistic trees in the background. Um, just, just really, really went out of their way for this extra printing cost of doing a nice, a nice, you know, inside cover scheme um bonus points because i do believe it is a scene from the book like from the story well, the community center you think they're outside the community center here no i think they're outside the uh mcdonald's parking lot where rachel's rampaging really it just seems like too nice of a park to have a mcdonald's right there 
Yeah, exactly. It's not like they're nailing these things for realism. I don't think this would be zoned properly um, within the city. But, uh, you know, honestly, I don't think it's the McDonald's parking lot because they've described that multiple times. And it seems like that's in a more like off the highway uh, place like you know there's other buildings around it because they've hit on rooftops around the McDonald's I, I just don't think it's sitting here in the middle of this nice park I just don't think the uh, illustrators portraying it accurately is is <laughs> really the case I, just, I, I want every Animorphs book instead of some of these stupid inside covers to have a Tolkien Lord of the Rings styled map of the city and like a little like hand-drawn Cassie's bar and up in the corner and a little mountain range that looks like smogs flying over it. And you can <laughs> see where you can see where the McDonald's is and all the Yurk. The construction site where Elfingor crashed. Oh man, Animorphs fan artists, get on that. Uh that's what I'd like to see. I don't I don't need another this is what Marco would look like if he were, you know, uh an Andalite half morphed into an ant. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of weird stuff. Um, I think I, I also, this is a weird observation, but I think this might be the smallest like hole in the cover between you know Tobias's little bird face. Yeah, it was it was a month where they had to save some money, so they used a hole punch. <laughs> yeah, it kind of looks like that. It's it's like seriously the smallest gap I've I've seen in one of these books. But uh, yeah, that's that's the outside cover. Um, I guess we generally jump into talking about the back now. Yeah, I think it's actually my turn to read. I think you've read the last 15. No, I I knew it was your turn to read it, but I'm pretty sure I read the last one. Pretty sure. All right. All right. I'm jumping into it. Good luck. Andalites have finally arrived on Earth. The Animorphs and Axe now have allies willing to fight against the Yurk invasion, but there are only four Andalites, not nearly enough to defeat thousands of Yurks, not enough to stop more humans from being infested. So, everyone agrees that the battle must continue, but the Andalites don't want to fight alongside humans. They feel their skills will be less than adequate, Are they? and they demand that Axe choose a side. Will Axe stay with his friends, or stand with his people? Bum, bum, bum. Yeah. Um, you know, and that describes part of the conflict of this book, yes. Um... Once again, it feels like it's more of a uh, a description of the general kind of theme. Uh, Yeah, actually, in this instance, good on them for not spoiling the much more interesting subplot of this book. Or I guess it's the main plot. Um, Yeah, usually they they usually throw some spoilers there on the back, but they they held off this time. Yeah, I gotta say, um, writing like accurate summaries for for a lot of these stories... um, it can be quite fun sometimes when I'm when I'm doing it for like when we post these episodes to the website and such. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, they they generalize the hell out of these things usually, and and this one definitely does that. Yeah. Well, let's jump right in. What are we waiting for? I'm I'm waiting for you to jump right in. Oh. So yeah, uh, this one this one actually starts out. Uh, curiously enough, it, it starts at what might be considered like a climax of, of a different book. Yeah, it's, it's, it's right into the action. Uh, I think this is just in general, good writing whenever they do this. 
Um, you know, it's it's an interesting open right from the start, and we know these characters, we know who's being interrogated, and it's someone we haven't really seen that much of, so it gets me interested right away, wondering what where this book's gonna go. Yeah, well, actually, I think I think the last couple of times uh, we were surprised at the inclusion of Eric. Uh, I I felt mm. like the books had gotten a little Eric thick. We may have just lost some street cred. It is not <laughs> Eric, as you point out in your notes, who is being interrogated. It is Mr. King. Oh, hey, good on you for noticing that, my friend. Yeah, okay. Um, regardless, uh, the the Yerks have captured one of the Chi, and it is the Animorphs who are, you know, in control of the situation in that they're all already in the room in various bug morphs kind of watching the scene unfold. And, uh, you know, they wait and wait until they can't wait any longer and they've got to go battle morphs uh, to get the chi out. Yeah, and uh, this goes about as well as any confined office space animorphs fight goes. Uh, people are losing limbs. Somebody's trailing their entrails. Um, they're they're up against the wall, and I'm not sure why this fight is any harder, other than it being a trap. But they've been they've been in traps before, and I don't know. Maybe maybe Vizzer is finally just dropping his elite Hork Bajir on on these occasions where he knows he has them backed up against the corner because uh, they get really hurt here. And if it wasn't for the Deus Ex Machina. Um, of these new characters arriving, I don't know what they would do. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there was there was uh, one line in particular that stood out to me from the uh, uh, battle here. It's uh, Hork Bajir began to drop like hailstones. So that that gives me the image of like, you know, the the elite Hork Bajir shock team parachuting down or para dropping down from the ceilings <laughs> on top of them. Um, so it's a, it's a huge bloody battle and to make matters worse, Visor three shows up as you know, he's prone to doing, um, whatever the Andalite bandits are about. Yeah. And so, like we said, they're losing this battle. It's not going well for them. And Visor three hasn't even morphed yet. So this is a really good chance. Animorphs would be dead after this book and, and then no more series. Yerks take over and we lose. Um, uh, but just in the nick of time, uh, some rando, Andalites come jumping out of an elevator um, and they soar over our heroes and into the thick of battle. Yeah, very cinematic. Um, And I feel like it was almost a a very rushed encounter as well, um, as it was probably supposed to feel. Uh, You know, Axe mentions fighting next to uh, a female, um, which he thoroughly enjoys. He's immediately taken (laughs) with. Uh, you, you see some nice little banter with Visor 3 who recognizes one of the Andalites. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, it definitely adds a, a different layer of uh, mystery to this character. And and his name's Arbat, by the way. Um, he's he's definitely going to be the, the most significant of these, these Andalite characters that are introduced here. Do you uh, think, uh, just a side tangent right away, right at the beginning of this book, um, do you think that this messes with Fizzer 3's head at all? That he sees Arbat and what he ends up being, and and maybe he questions whether he was one of the Andalite bandits this whole time? Yeah. Like, I, for Fizzer 3, this could be this huge reveal in the series. <laughs> <laughs> exactly, I know. Arbat, it's been you this whole time, man? Ah. Uh, uh, 
I, you know, I was going to ask you the same thing. Uh, do you think it helps the Animorphs or hurts their team that Visor 3 and some of the other the Yerks will now assume that there are plus four more Andalite bandits? You know? Well, I think it's, hel- it's helpful because it's information that's not true. And anytime the enemy thinks something's true that's not, you have the advantage. And B... Uh, with how close Visitor Three is to one of these Andalites, uh, it might help the Animorphs in thinking that if they, if Visitor Three still thinks that he's part of their team, maybe he tries to think like him and like try to be one step ahead of him when really he's still dealing with the same Animorphs we've always known. Yeah, it's it's possible. Um, on on the negative side, you know, if they're planning for more enemies they'll have more weapons and guards theoretically honestly it seems like this is something that visitor 3 could take to the uh council 13 and be like look uh i've been struggling against five andalite bandits and now they're up to nine we need to move this invasion up yeah yeah that could have been a great uh uh tipping point for the start of the end game of the series but yeah eh, they do other things instead <laughs> uh, well anyway um so these these analytes arrive and they really they really help them out and, and get them out in the nick of time yeah basically it, like you said ds6 machina all the way um they they managed to make it out and you know the the andalites sneak off as as they do and um the animorphs kind of reconvene at Cassie's barn as they always do. <laughs> yeah, but this is, this is a very different barn scene in my mind. And I'd say at first those sneaky little animorphs, as we'll come to later find out, they, they had me that I thought, I thought the team was honestly falling apart right here. And I was, I was very taken aback by it. Uh, at, during this scene or during the next one? Well, I thought it started off in this scene. <sighs> Uh no, in this one, um, they they mainly express their concerns oh, to Axe. Yeah, yeah, yeah. uh, so everybody you know gathers in the barn, and right off the bat, you know, they're super skeptical about the Andalites' intentions and whether or not they're really going to be helpful. Um, oh well, no, no, no. So so this is you're right. The next scene is where they explicitly start down that road, but I think this scene sets it up pretty well. Because in this one, they do start talking about like, okay, well, Andalites have definitely start, arrived back on Earth. What does this mean for our little group of merry men? Um, that they start talking about that in this scene, and that's what leads down the falsehoods in the next scene. I w- I would go even a step further and saying that this initial talk was kind of like the whole team testing Axe to see where his allegiances yes. lie. Because here's the thing. Uh, they express their concerns, you know, about what these Andalites are here for. And Axe kind of tries to defend him. I mean, he, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't outright uh, defend them, but he, he basically makes excuses for them. And this is when Marco even comes out and drops uh, Lyra... The time that they were explicitly betrayed by an Andalite. Really throws them under the bus here. (laughs) Exactly. And uh, uh, 
when X, you know, tries to bring up, oh, but the female and I, we had this this connection or whatever, and then everyone just suspects him of having a crush on her because, of course, he would. Um, I was yeah. trying, I was trying to remember what what's the name of the uh, brother from the uh, Hork Bajir Chronicles that we were always joking about was in his bunk. <laughs> Oh, I don't remember. I can't remember his name, but I was going to say R.I.P. him because because Axe is surely in the same situation. <laughs> I had completely forgotten about that. I need to go back and listen to our Hork Your Chronicles episode because that was probably one of the funniest jokes we've made on this podcast. <laughs> it was a pretty good one, not going to lie. Um, yeah, and I've totally lost my train of thought, but that's okay. Uh, <laughs> uh, after, after you know, they're like, "Okay, Axe, you're you're clearly crushing on this chick." Um, Rachel even goes a little a step further and and basically casts some serious doubt on where Axe's loyalties might ultimately lie, and uh, Jake just kind of reminds Axe not to do anything without first talking it over with them, um, and you know, Alex or Axe. I almost said Alex, I think. Axe. You did say Alex. <laughs> Axe kind of gallops off in this angry, horny rage. And uh, <laughs> that's where he leaves uh, this scene. So this this was definitely... Ooh, hold on, hold on. Um, I, had to, I, had to, I had to open the book real quick. Because remembering this scene and then remembering the rest of the book, I had to think to myself, does Cassie say a single word in this entire book? Oh yeah, like, absolutely. I, she does. She she does. She does. I I just opened a page and I found, I found her talking. But she is basically non-existent in this book. Like we don't really go to her point of view at all. Um, no, she she has a couple of good lines. Um, mostly just um, tries to be you know very reconciliar reconciliatory. Or um, she's she's the very like soft-spoken one who, who's going to be easier on Axe. Whereas, not a strong character every, this book. Everyone else, like Marco and Rachel, especially in this book, uh, are, are very outspoken with Axe. Um, yeah. And Jake is well, just very beat down and, and disheartened about the whole situation, it seems. Well, in this scene where you say that Rachel calls out his loyalties, even though Jake kind of shuts her down, he basically does the same thing. Um, by reminding him not to, you know, mess up or or fall in with them or do anything crazy. Yeah, yeah, totally. Don't don't do anything without talking to us first. Uh, is very much that that message of you're not to be interloping with these uh, interlopers. <laughs> uh, yeah, new arrivals. <laughs> I was gonna say. Um, <laughs> so yeah, you know, X uh, runs off to uh, I, I guess remove his shirt and do like a training montage of working out angrily um, as he's doing that in the forest. And then Tobias comes in probably to play recon. <laughs> yeah. Well, and also Tobias, I think he could, he's probably well aware that Axe is upset by this whole situation and being his shorm, AKA forest buddies, um, BFF, you know, best forest <laughs> friends. <laughs> Hashtag BFFs. Uh, I really like that. I feel like that's going to catch on within the Norse community. They <laughs> are. <Sports> friends. <laughs> um, completely lost my train of thought. No, okay, anyway, anyway. So, uh, so Tobias, I think, is obviously checking on him as well. They're they're very close. 
Uh, yeah, totally. <laughs> and, and Tobias's role in this whole book is is kind of interesting as well. You know, being like the the close point to X, um, he he's got a slightly different perspective from the rest of the team. Just because I feel like he's got a more familial obligation to X to kind of stick by his side. Um, but he still hits, you know, the right moments when he has to, uh, when the team is kind of deserting him later. Um, but the, the cool thing about this scene is it, it almost harkens back to earlier in the series where Tobias, um, and Axe are just going to screw around at the mall because Tobias found 20 bucks and <laughs> instantly, you know, Axe is down for a Cinnabon. Of course, there's a, a good callback reference as well to that. Personally, I choose to believe in my own Animorphs headcanon that Tobias runs an Oliver Twist-like um, pickpocketing uh, ring of children that he directs through ThoughtSpeak. Um, Tobias, yeah. He, that's how he attains the money. It could be, because he's also uh, he also mentions that... Um, uh, he, here's a line of dialogue from Tobias when he's trying to convince X uh, to go to the mall. Um, I take it that means yes, especially since I've already hidden our outer clothing on the mall roof, Tobias said. So, yeah, he's got little stashes of clothing on rooftops all around the <laughs> town, you know, for the team. You, you guys want to hang out? I, I got some clothing hidden away. <laughs> some money that I found. Tobias, where are you getting all these money and clothes? <laughs> oh, yeah, 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 I just want to hang out at the arcade, guys. Come on. <laughs> Don't look, ask questions. Look, don't don't go near any crows. Is all I gotta say. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I was talking about like human children, but I guess him running a a line of pit pocketing crows is pretty interesting too. Well, he hates crows, so I imagine you know he makes them he do hate, it for him. <laughs> he hates them because they don't earn them enough. <laughs> Lazy crows. That could be it. Also, look, let me throw this out there. I know that crows were a racial significant cartoon character in the 50s that's not what i was referencing uh <laughs> what no nobody suspected you of that that's no you said no that. i no i mean i i said that i said lazy crows and that's that's literally a line of dialogue in the song of the <laughs> south uh disney's incredibly racist movie oh um, wow okay so that's that is not what i was talking about and i just want to make that very clear well, cool. Way to make it an educational learning experience, bro. Uh, I just want to talk about going to the mall. Let's go to the mall. Because that's what Tobias and X are doing in the story. We're reviewing. See, I can segue. Anything to get away from That's a good segue. I, I can steer you right out of there, those situations, pal. Ooh, uh, we're safe. No emails or tweets about that now. Hey, hey remember when we used to complain about uh, uh, plot conveniences in these stories? Because no sooner than uh, they arrive at the mall, uh, the, then they're treated to a scene of another human absolutely freaking out in the food court well not even not even a coincidence of them getting to the mall it's a coincidence of them being like hey let's go to the food court and get a cinnabon that means we're nearby it so we can hear all this happening (laughs) (laughs) yeah basically oh there's um there's one line uh of dialogue that i like here from the book uh it's when he's talking about morphing human because they morph human to go into the mall for the first time uh So he's talking about uh, just acquiring the DNA from multiple people. 
And uh, he says, thus, when I am human, I vaguely resemble all of them, but duplicate no one. It is a moral compromise. We have all learned to make them. Um, that was just a really interesting way of putting it. Moral compromise. Well, no, it's good that they reference that because they've talked before. It, it helps ease the gap between the books where they were like, we can't morph dolphin because it's a sin against nature. And then everybody pointing you know, readers and stuff pointing to acts and this human morph. Um, so it's it's nice that they're like, okay, this is something we see as absolutely necessary, which is why I have it. Although at the same time, they also use it to go to the movies and stuff. So um, <laughs> you take it as you will, dear reader. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Absolutely. So this, this of course, turns out to be uh, Estrid, uh, the female Andalite with whom uh, Axe is now smitten, uh, going crazy with the delight of taste, uh, as as Andalite humans are wont to do whenever they get delicious beans in their mouths. Yeah, she was just eating, like, Taco Bell refried beans or something. She didn't even get to the, like, sugar and uh, Cinnabon. No, it was. It was, it was uh, jelly beans. Oh, yeah, 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 you're right. Jelly beans is what she got. Not, I thought they definitely talk about Taco Bell. I think Tobias talks about Taco Bell. Yeah, he does. Uh, because uh, X points out that he wants a burger, I believe. Or a Which, if, if I haven't said controversial enough things on this episode, I will go one step further and say jelly beans are disgusting. And I don't know how anyone enjoys them. Uh, certain jelly beans, yes. but All jelly beans. There, the there are some very good jelly beans. I don't like jelly beans. Well, buddy, you come up to Minnesota, and we're gonna get you your beans. Oh, you got set. you got some better, better Minnesota beans up there. Oh, absolutely, we do. We've got a Jelly Belly store in the Mall of America. You have what store don't you have in there? You have multiples of other stores just to fill the place up. We've got everything that you've ever needed and will ever need, and that's only the tip of the iceberg. Oh, you guys have an iceberg too. <laughs> Absolutely. This time of year, I'd believe it. Um, anyway, back to Bada the bing. book. <laughs> <Bada Bada bing. laughs> uh, uh, anyway, Estrid's crazy. They grab her. Uh, they obviously know it's an Andalite because of the specific mouth sound. I, I love Axe's, uh, uh, like trying to calm her down routine. He's like, you're having, starts, a, you're having a reaction to mouth pleasures. <laughs> <laughs> and then he starts playing with words too. They're all hysteric. <laughs> you need to calm down. Slaps her. <laughs> but they get her away and, uh, you know, they get away from security saying, Oh, she's just my sick cousin or whatever. Um, yeah, sick sister. And then the, the weirder thing is while they're trying to get her out, uh, apparently this is like some random girl that she morphed somehow. Uh, and the real girl's brother sees them hauling her out and like starts chasing them too. And you think that's going to be kind of significant or something, but it ends up being nothing. But well, they, not, only does, not only did she morph this girl, this girl is still shopping in the mall. So she didn't even like knock her out and like put her in her closet or anything. Somehow she acquired her. Yeah. Without how the hell? Her noticing. <laughs> I thought when they when they said that there was another version of her like shopping in the gap, I thought that the Andalites had stupidly 
all acquired the same human. Yeah, that's so what that I thought multiple. too. And I was hoping that was going to be the case, and it wasn't. It was kind of disappointing. I thought that would have yeah. been the much better route. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, if, if they well. all acquired the same human, because, I mean, why would they knock out multiple humans? I don't know. Anyway, that, that plot thread goes nowhere. The brother, <laughs> they get away from them. And, um, really, it does. They get outside, and they all morph their various birds and fly off um, to where the Andalite ship is parked. And, you know, the team kind of regroups a little bit. Uh, uh, it's mostly just Axe and Jake kind of stealing the scene here. Um, and it's actually a really cool scene for Jake as far as, like, seeing his diplomacy with uh, not just any random old alien of the week, but some other Andalites, you know? He really this, uh, takes the reins here. This Jake feels like end of the book series Jake, where he's like, should be afraid of the people he's standing up to, and there's just nothing there. He's just, I don't care who you are. I don't care what your rank is. I don't care that you're older than me. Here's what's going on. It's it's cool. It's Jake at his best. Oh, yeah, exactly. Um, whenever he's, yeah, being serious, being diplomatic, you know, calling the shots, which he very much does, uh, he wants to take charge, you know, but typical Andalites are... are very egotistical, very unwilling to uh, yield to, you know, especially humans, but anything they consider a lower species. Um, now, I do, I do take um, take offense to to Jake's plan here with uh, two of the animorphs being snakes uh, near the Andalite's feet. I think that was risking their lives pretty hardcore with how fast an animorph or an Andalite's tail is. I think they could have like surprised. The Andalites, and if the Andalites had just chosen to kill these creatures immediately, I don't think there's anything that the snakes could have really done. You know, it's yeah, there there were definitely some flaws with the plan, but um, I, I thought it was actually a really well pre calculated, premeditated uh, plan for for gaining a quick upper hand in the situation. Um, not to mention, they probably also had you know. Cassie and Wolf Morph on standby as usual, and or no, she was she was one of the snakes. I'm sorry. Uh, they probably had Rachel on standby as usual, uh, ready to go grizzly or whatever. Yeah, I'm not entirely sure what else they could have done because I think if you would have gone battle morphs like coming out of the woods or like a pack of wolves or something, uh, that's something that an Andalite could feel like they could maybe fight head on. And realistically, I don't think either the the animorphs or uh, uh, these Andalites, maybe a little less so with the Andalites, but I, especially the Animorphs, I don't think they were prepared or, or thought fighting was necessary. Um, they just needed to show that they were capable of, you know, thinking like that. I, it would be cool if they did something with the, um, with the, uh, Chi, if they had like, uh, made them put a hologram around the Andalites that made it look like they were just in like a blinding white space so they like lost their vision or something and it's like you don't know how I'm doing this but I need you to start listening to me um something crazy like that would have been cool or just made a like hologram army of like various different uh animals not even andalites but animals and just say they're all people in morph um and this is my army so 
There you go. Boom. Scare him. Yeah. Right there. That, that would have been pretty cool. Or some sort of force of auxiliary animorphs made from handicapped people. No, wait, sorry. That's later. Uh, um, yeah. Coming up. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. You know, and so uh, having kind of uh, won their little standoff with the Andalites here, um, it, they I wouldn't say they win their respect necessarily, but they do stand down. And we are introduced to all four Andalites properly. Um, Estrid, the female, appears to be some kind of, like, student, or, or she's, uh, they call her an heiress, you know, they refer to her as one of the, the experimental female heiress, uh, that's, that's not even supposed to be on the ship, or whatever, um, that's how she's introduced. Uh, Arbat is, like, the intelligence officer and, and planner, and, you know, that very much shows that he's a sneaky bastard, and there's I mean, more, like more to his high character. Level. He's incredibly high level uh, Andalite intelligence, like as high as the War Council, if not directing the War Council, which is pretty up there. Yep. And then uh, uh, the commander, Gonrod, of the situation, who is supposedly a great pilot, and I think that's all he was there for is to be a pilot. Yeah. Um, calling him co- commander just never felt right. Uh, even when I was reading the story, I was like, what, what is the significance of these characters? You know, and then there's Aloth who I'll go ahead and say right now is the assassin on the team. Uh, even though that's, that's talked about in a little bit. Spoilers. Um, <laughs> uh, but, but their, their commander of the situation, Gonrod, uh, refuses to work with Jake really. And, uh, doesn't leave them much of choice in the matter. Um, you know, the Animorphs uh, definitely outsmarted him with the old Sneaky Snakes plan, but uh, <laughs> uh, that, that causes the Andalites to actually spill the beans. Haha, call back to earlier. <laughs> and, and do some splaining. Um, you know, and, and then they give out a little bit of somewhat valuable plot information. We get to know a little bit more about what's going on with the war. Turns out it's more of what we kind of expected. Um, you know, the Yurks are starting battles all over the galaxy. It's like a full-on Star Wars situation now. And uh, the Andalite uh, team that was, I guess, headed for Earth at one point got diverted to the old Rackham Garu. Which, I mean, I know that <laughs> there's probably... I'm pro- I know that there's probably very much some strategic um, reasonings for taking these other planets or starting these wars where the Yorks are trying to go. But we've read Vizzer, and we know that humans add up to probably one of the most important um, hosts that the Yorks have ever found. And so you you would think that Andalite intelligence would realize and has the information now that Earth has, you know, 7 billion people uh, that are strong and capable tool use and and could become not shock troopers like the Horkbajir, but incredibly important hosts of the Yurks. So, you know, to not divert some of your fleet or take the fleet there to just clean that up real quick, that that seems a little far-fetched to me now that the Andalites know about Earth and the fight there. That they're not racing towards there. No, I, I... Apparently, they... Uh, believe it to be low priority for some freaking reason still at this point in the series. <laughs> the the only thing I can chalk it up to, I mean, obviously besides plot convenience and what they're trying to do with the book series and extend it, um, 
The only thing I can think of is that these other places are important to the Andalite pride. Like they're uh, maybe not, they're not obviously not the home planets of the Andalites, but maybe they're like places they colonized a long time ago and or places that, you know, they have allegiances with the aliens who live there. And so they have to, you know, the, the command structure of the Andalites is obviously maybe not corrupt, but it's, it's incredibly disorganized and, and tons of flaws within its structure. So, I don't know. It just it still seems crazy to me that they're not checking up on Earth or doing more than they're letting on. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, it also feels like another way to yet again uh, extend the series for another extra couple of books, right? Yeah. That that much. Uh, you know, that and it's just another uh, blow to our heroes' uh uh, morale really and just another setback for them i guess uh because not only do they reveal that you know that bad slice of news they're just kind of four people that kind of randomly got shuffled together and sent off on the suicide mission um well they don't say it's a suicide mission yet but uh it's an assassin mission meant to kill visitor three and uh you know, Arbat's been plotting it. That's his his role in the whole thing. And uh, Estridge is just along for the ride. And uh, there's even uh, Axe gets his own little sparring scene um, that killed a couple of pages <laughs> in the yeah. middle of this introduction. Yeah, I can see something like that. Um, Get to beat up on the girl he, he dug. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, but again... Um, Moving on. <laughs> but again, did we, and, and, and again, other things. Did we mention that uh, Arbat is also uh, Visitor 3's host, Buddy Aleron's brother? Bum. So there's a, yeah. there's a lot of brother situations to keep track of. He's uh, Well, that was uh, my... He's Aleron's brother. With a big, yeah, with a big reveal of him being Visitor 3's host, Buddy's brother. Okay, um, but Visitor 3 also has another brother... His his Yurk brother, <laughs> the twin one, that may or oh, may not yeah. have died in a previous in the book. Ma- in the mansion. Mm-hmm. I almost forgot about him. Um does he ever come back? Do you know if he comes back or is that just a one and done? Yeah, I don't I don't think so. They they bring him up, they mention him before, I think. But I I wanna see more of Visitor Three's immediate family show up in these books. Yeah. Uh, I think that's <laughs> His tw- his second cousin twice removed, <laughs> <laughs> um, or just just go down the clone route. I want to see clones of Visor Three. Visor Visor Three Three Three. Yeah. After this whole situation, though, like so many times before and in the future, they return to Cassie's to debate the whole thing. Uh, and the team is definitely this is like where you said this is where the charade begins. <laughs> but I, I, I thought it was believable. I didn't think it was like um, when they were trying to fake out other people who've watched them in the barn, like David. Uh, I think the whole David thing, as much as I love those books, they go way over the top when berating Rachel and trying to like look like they're all fighting amongst each other. Whereas this, I think it doesn't even seem like they're breaking no, up. No, yeah. Kind of like, I agree with like, you. It felt very genuine. Yeah, because it, it makes sense with, with the people that we know here. Uh, with how they've acted before, when a true Andalite squad shows up, it was always the plan 
to turn over to fight to them. And so they didn't. It didn't seem like they were fighting necessarily in this scene. It just seemed like they were like, finally, you know, we can give this up. Um, right, because they they uh, were able to admit that the Andalites weren't coming to help them. Yeah. So I was obviously, you know, it, it obviously seemed like something that because they kept mentioning the grackles and that they were being watched and stuff. Uh, I thought that was heavy hinting to the fact that the Andalites were there. And yeah. I knew they were smart enough. I knew they were smart enough to put on a show, but they they had me going. I, I thought this might have actually like could have been revealed to be a real scene that they that it happened. Well, and I think a young reader reading this for the first time would probably be naive enough to go along with it. And I, I mean, yeah. it I I swallowed it, but it didn't sit right the first time I read this through. Um, what really sold it though is uh, Rachel, you know, actually jumping on Marco and starting to kick his ass <laughs> for for him giving her shit. Um, yeah, and, we wanted to see forever. And and I, I guess the the real selling point is even Tobias himself says that's it. I can't take this anymore. I'm losing my mind. I'm out. I'm out of here. I'm out of this. I'm done, man. Tobias flapped his wings and flew from the barn, and it's. Like, I think that was the most obvious of the uh, acting <laughs> skills. Huh? Are you sure? I don't know. That's just I, so I out thought, of character for Tobias. <laughs> I thought it was really out of character in the next scene where uh, X returns to the barn. We'll talk about it in a little bit. Yeah, but uh, but then yeah, Jake Jake goes over to X and he's like, "Man, I release you." From being, uh, from me being your prince, so just just go on with your own people, uh, which I think they could have done as like a little, even though it was acting, I think it could have been like a little heartfelt scene of um, them trying to play it up, but they just kind of do it normally. No, actually, I I thought it was uh, uh, quite sweet in in all of its short glory. Um, he really says what he ha- has to, you know. I can't hold you to your oath. The others are right. It's over. Go on, do what you have to do, and if you can, go home. Like, I like that mentality that, you know, yeah. he's just like, okay, here's what we're going to do. To really finally test you, Axe, on this, on your allegiances, I'm going to give you absolute freedom right here. Do what you want, and if by chance, you know, you end up back with us on our on our side, on our team, well, that's cool, too. Well, no, I don't, I don't think, I don't question at any point that this was a test for Axe. I think Axe was very much in on this plan, the whole book. Really? Yeah, especially how, with how it's revealed when the Animorphs come out of show. I think that was the point of this book, is that this isn't the Axe that turned on the humans to go with his own people. He's learned his lesson, and he said he would never turn on them again. And I think he is 100%. I think you're, you were right in that the first barn meeting was kind of a little test for Axe, and they knew they were alone. I think from this point on, Axe is 100% still aligned with the humans and is in on this plan. Okay, I, I could I could uh, dig that. You know, it's, I don't think it's really made very clear whether or not he is. He's definitely in on it at the end, for sure. Yeah. Uh, but from what point he's in on it, I'm not even sure. And I felt like, you know, this could be the start of his test. Not um, to well, not to jump ahead, but I, he does have a speech at the end where he said, I would never turn on you again. Um, 
or I, I told the humans I would never turn on them again, and I meant it. So I, I feel like that is strong enough to say that this entire book, he was, he was on their side. Yeah, that could very well be. Um, and I sure hope it's the case, because that makes it a lot cooler. <laughs> yeah. Ugh. But, so, yeah, so he's, he's free of Jake's control as far as any watching birds are concerned. and Right, and, uh, uh, absolutely, because immediately Estrid's back to be like, hey, come on over here with me. <laughs> wanna, wanna go do some Andalite Netflix and chill? Wanna go do some uh, bird stuff? Right. Bird right. stuff. <laughs> uh, they go back to the spaceship, and uh, the spaceship is uh, right by the gardens, which I thought was interesting. Just, just floating over a field next to the gardens. It's a pretty good uh, open area. I guess it, it really reminded me of uh, Star Trek for the voyage home where they have the Klingon bird of prey parked over a park invisible so that things like birds are running into it and stuff. And um, <laughs> when Kirk Kirk goes on a date at one point and he brings her back to the ship and just a ramp opens up out of nowhere in the middle of this park and it descends down to the ground. Cool. It's uh, immediately what I thought of. Yes. Star Trek references. Yes. It's it's what the people come for, Mitch. Somewhere, Michael Grant is getting an erection. <laughs> uh, so right right as soon as they get into the spaceship, and you know you start talking to the other Andalites, you know that stuff is obviously not right with who they are, what they're doing there. None of the information makes sense. There's there's so much mystery surrounding everything. Um, you know, Arbat is is suspect as hell, as well as uh, uh, Estrid. Yeah, there's she's something going on weird. Stuff. There's something going on weird with like she's got this free spirit, which they kind of chalk up to her just being an Andalite female. But uh, the problem is, no one's like clamping down on her or like stopping her. They're all acting incredibly weird around her uh, and not taking orders from her or anything. But but not reprimanding her, which just is seems really strange. Yep, and at one point, Aloth even mentions that, uh, or alludes to the fact that maybe she's uh, somebody's niece, or, or maybe there's some connection between her and uh, uh, Arbat. Um, and, and, of course, happens to be the case. Um, yeah. But, you know, right off the bat, all they're interested in knowing from Axe is how they can get to Visor 3, because that is the focal point of their mission currently. Um, and Axe, you know, right off the bat, tells them about the sharing meetings in the Yerk Pool. That's pretty much the only way to get to Visor 3. Um, and then Aloth and Arbat are, are very interested in knowing whether uh, uh, Arbat is capable of giving the order to kill his brother when the time comes. Um, they even have a little debate amongst themselves about that. Portion. Well, they, they make bets on whether he'll be able to or not. And then uh, they go so far as to um, Aloth saying, or Arbot saying that even though Aloth was bring, brought to kill Visor 3, like that's why they brought an assassin, Arbat says, you can only take the second shot. I'm going to take the first shot just to prove that he can kill his own brother. Yeah, well, he definitely says that later when they're actually in the mission. No, they, this is where they decide that, though. Um, isn't it? 
Or did they decide on the mission? <laughs> no, it's it's the the day the day of the mission. Well, I'll just giving the of. just giving the listeners a little preview of what's to come. <laughs> um, hey, it's all right. The, the important thing is you remembered that. Detail. I did. Um, yeah, totally. But I, the, the more important thing is that we're heading into a scene. This is the first time which, they brought it up. Yeah. Well, you're the first time it's brought up. <laughs> exactly. It, it's being led into a scene. This next scene in the gardens uh, with Estrid and Axe, which I think honestly makes the book yeah this is by far i think uh as far as i'm concerned and probably many readers are concerned this is the most memorable uh part or scene from this book it's you know classic uh boy and girl going on a date uh experience the good old-fashioned you know human emotions of uh first love and uh, mouth pleasures, <laughs> mouth pleasures, both of the uh, flavor variety as well as uh, I, I don't know oratory pleasure. I, I don't know. Okay, you're going too far. Um, <laughs> okay, let's describe the scene. Okay, but I think I think the best way to describe the scene, I think it was written incredibly well in the sense that you have these two two andalites or two aliens, you know, doing a very normal Earth thing you know going on a date to the uh, theme park uh but they have this you know cold out of body experience with it you know they're talking about you know she just wants to find some food and uh he just wants to like spend some time with her but they're both talking about the park and what it represents to humans and uh you know obviously acts uh kind of slips in this smooth move to get her to try out kissing but at least like what does kissing even mean to axe like he's seen it on tv i'm sure and things like that and he knows basically what it means uh but it's, it's just so i think it's just so well written that it's like this um outside experience looking in at these two aliens trying human things uh i really like that and uh we do get some important information here which i think is crazy to readers of the book so far that uh, Estrid morphs. Obviously, they just didn't want to. Yeah, that she was walking I, around I naked. was waiting silently to bring this up, but everybody remembers the kiss from this scene. Then uh, and, and gloss over the fact that they completely rewrote the rules on morphing in one quick fell swoop here with this little trick. Uh, uh, can I just can I just read this because this is nuts? Yeah, okay? go ahead. Uh, this, so this is Estrid beginning to morph human. Estrid's eye stalks receded, receded into her skull. Her legs and arms retracted. She lay on the ground, a round ball of blue and tan fur. The fur disappeared and became smooth and pink. Then, with one burst, the round ball became a human, fully clothed in what humans would consider normal clothing. I was amazed. I had never seen such an efficient morph, and the ability to morph something other than skin-tight bicycle shorts and t-shirts took almost supernatural powers of concentration. You are an estrine, I said. So, yeah, uh, wow. That's like a completely different type of morphing. Yeah, well, I mean, it's all it is, I don't think there's anything crazy about it, and it's actually what I've wanted them to do this entire series is show the evolution of these powers, so if if you can if you can morph a bird with feathers and all of that, then that's like the starting point of the technology. And we've seen with Cassie, you can take that a little further. You can kind of choose w- how the morph goes or what comes next or make it kind of beautiful. yeah, like making the wings so, appear from your arms first. Yeah. You know? So if you can take that first step 
towards something. There's no reason that you can't take more steps after that. And I love that this book did that because I don't think it's unrealistic or I don't think it breaks the series. I think it evolves the sci-fi and the technology of the series. Yeah, and and if anything, uh, you know, we, we are always, here at ThoughtSpeak, we are always about advancing the more floor, hashtag more floor. Uh, and unfortunately... That's something I think the series doesn't do enough in the end game is advance the morphing technology and how it's used and evolve the power. Like, that'd be so cool. What if, you know, at one point they had the ability to morph multiple appendages of different animals or what have you? Well, I I, I do think that that's where the series, if if at any point the series is ever continued by Kay Applegate, um, I think it would be great if the morphing technology was just out there and was a common weapon among multiple species, and that whoever the main characters are, um, they take it a step further, and they can morph in a way that no one has ever seen before. And that's <laughs> how you would differentiate them. What, what if, what if like, three or more of the Animorphs morphed together into, like, a Chimera? Voltron style? <laughs> yeah, like a multi-headed Chimera beast. I am was, 100% for that. Made up of several of the kids. <laughs> Or if you if you morph together, you can form uh, like mythological creatures. You can morph into a dragon um, <laughs> by combining like the wings of a bat and uh, T Rex. Oh yeah, and- if they like got into DNA altering. Yeah, they could I'm, call I'm them. Al- they could call them alteromorphs. Ah. Uh- <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, something like that needs to happen though. Or they or the, in the sequel series, they could just morph like non DNA based things like cars and <laughs> yeah. can morph into objects. <laughs> they, they morph into books. They can morph into an anamorph's book. Wow. That's the super, ultimate meta. Super meta. <laughs> I can't I want that book. I want that where's, book that is an anamorph that morphed into that book. Where's Marco? Uh unfortunately uh it's it's really sad. He's he's an athlet. Okay, what did he turn into? He he's that skyscraper on Third Avenue. <laughs> yeah, he said it really tickled oh, all those oh, people walking through him. You can have an amazing scene where Jake is just sitting in like an office space that hasn't been rented yet in Marco the Nothlet skyscraper and he's just <laughs> crying and he's talking to his friend. Yeah, he's talking to him the whole time. <laughs> Yeah, and then, like, it, it's really a trap from the Yurks or the Andalites, whoever the bad guys are in the sequel series, and they catch the building on fire, and as Marco burns down, the last thing he's able to do, which they didn't know he could do, is light up all the exit signs for Jake to get out before he burns down. Ah, oh, this is emotional stuff. Uh, and also a complete waste of everyone's time. <laughs> no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, we've already talked about the kissing scene, and that's kind of the most important thing. <laughs> Also, if any girl comes at you, or guy, maybe, uh, and the mood is right, and says, let us experiment, that's, that's, that's an okay sign. It's a, it's a good time at the gardens. Unless they follow it up with meant experiment. Well, also, if they follow it up with, kissing's okay, I like food better. <laughs> that was pleasant, but not as pleasant as chocolate. No, but pleasurable. Yes. Yes. <laughs> I like that. I like that, okay? Um, yeah, and then to move the plot along, I mean, they're flying around as birds, you know, doing what birds do. 
And randomly down below, this is where you have Bear Rachel just terrorizing one of the McDonald's. Really, again, I feel like selling the scene, you know. Kind of. I Even as Rachel, um, I don't see her just attacking um, one of the Yerkpool entrances. Yeah, but when she Baramore stormed out, she explicitly said, I'm going to go back to doing this my way, hitting them hard, hitting them fast, like previously yeah. so I, I mean it it really did make sense it, the, especially the, given the the previous book's context <laughs> yeah the extra smart thing about the scene is that they had rachel you know if you're thinking about the the behind the book book where the other animorphs are doing things behind the scenes um they specifically had rachel attack the mcdonald's entrance because that's the entrance they wanted the andalites to focus on later in the book um they they specifically i would like to assume that jake you know planned out okay well axe is going to tell them this he's going to tell them this um if we had to have them attack any of the Yerkpool entrances that gives us an advantage which one would we have them attack and they know the mcdonald's one super well and they know the area they know all uh, you know all the intel they could about it so it, it's it's a really smart thing to control how the andalites are going to act later by having Rachel bring attention to this York pool entrance right in this scene. I suppose there is some strategic value in choosing it. I mean, all I know is that by the end of this book, this McDonald's ends up obliterated, <laughs> which is which pretty is cool. sad. It's, it's a big part of the book series. It's pretty cool. Uh, I'm interested to see what replaces it <laughs> coming up. Um, but yeah, th- this is where, you know, they spot something's awry with the team. They follow Cassie back to the barn because she was spying on Rachel um, and, you know, of course, leading X and uh, Astrid along on this theatrical display. Uh, and, and it clearly is very theatrical here where they return to the barn and Marco's just lounging on a bale of hay, like reading a magazine. Jake is off in a stall, like, uh, uh, like just on his arm, hands and knees, uh, feeling a wave of negativity hitting him. He's like, oh, Tom's picking on me. Um, you know, and furthermore, why would they all be hanging out at Cassie's still, you know, they'd already given up. (laughs) Well, her and Jake are, I I would say, dating at this point in the series. Sure, but why would Marco be there reading a magazine on a bale of hay? He's the third wheel of that relationship. He's only there so that the Andalites, uh, see the team, all their members again, yeah, uh, you know, basically. Um, but that's what made the scenes really stand out as being quite awkward. That and the way that Jake suddenly did this 180 uh, character oh. flip. And and now I remember Cassie does stand up here and she's like, Jake, this isn't like you. You stand up to people who put you down. And Jake just rolls over and is like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, basically. <laughs> uh, no, that's not what I'm about now. Now I'm about hiding away from my brother. Um, so, uh, yeah, after, after refusing to do anything about that situation, you know, uh, Axe and, and Estrid basically go back to their ship for the night and Axe is just kind of left to himself again, just like in the Atlantis book, you know, they, they give certain characters in certain situations way more freedom than I think they would normally allow. Well, I don't think they're giving him a ton of freedom because, uh, when he tries to do this, he tries to access the computer. Uh, it seems like um, 
it seems like they're they're waiting for him. Like Aloth, like is there instantly. So I don't think they were giving him free reign. I think they were keeping a little bit of a watch on him, and it wasn't just the computer triggering that that made Aloth come. I think he was probably keeping tabs on him. Possibly, yeah. Uh, I, I don't see why they wouldn't be monitoring him. You know, they they certainly wouldn't give him free reign to the ship. Um, but he's got a pretty good excuse of, uh, no, I wasn't, I wasn't trying to access your hidden information. I was just, uh, you know, looking at what you got on, on tap here. Yeah. Um, and a lot, um, you know, catching the suspicious, uh, new stranger in their ship immediately decides to tell him about his black market, uh, <laughs> organ trading. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he really goes ahead and spills the whole beans that, Hey, we're not soldiers of any sort. Uh, in fact, two of us are convicts, uh, Gonrod, you know, he's just a straight up soldier turned coward, um, who, who was dishonorably discharged. Like that's the worst thing an Andalite can do. Right. And here he's like acting like some haughty, uh, badass commander and and starship pilot. (laughs) Yeah. It's, uh, it's a start down the road to understanding, how messed up of a little crew this is. Oh, sure. And you, 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 this is where you really get the idea that, ah, yes, Arbat is clearly the one who's in charge of what's happening here. It's, yeah, it's made es- much and, more clear. And Estrid, and even he thinks that Estrid has some role to play in a leadership role. Yeah, yeah. And that was very interesting as well. It goes to deepen the mystery. Um, but. This this is where the actual day of the mission to assassinate Visitor 3 happens, and right off the bat, you know, Axe kind of comes into it with Arbat changing his mind, suddenly being like, I'm the one who's going to do it, and now you can be back up. And then he gets really mad and explodes on Estrid, because um, she wants to, you know, come along with her, but uh, he tells her that she has to stay behind for the mission. Yeah, and, and later we find out that this is all a carefully constructed experience this attack um yeah on our bats behalf yeah which is why no you know that's why estrid is surprised by him uh being acting that way to her and being so strong-willed and um yeah it, it's just kind of a, a clusterfuck that's starting to enroll well it's it's the classic Starting out a mission with already something working against the team, you know, some big shakeup that is obviously going to affect the team some way. Um, yeah, and that's how they head into this. The, the community center is the place they plan to, to pick. Um, this is because it's where the sharing operates most frequently. And, you know, they're right off the bat almost confronted with Visor 3. And uh, even quicker, you know, Arbat takes his shot and he ends up missing. Um, and it almost seems to act like it's on purpose or very deliberately. <laughs> yeah, and this is this is a meeting of high-level sharing people. So um, immediately, you know, they all scream Andalite and start freaking out. Totally. Um, it, it devolves into complete chaos. And uh, before the Andalites can really get out of there, make it out of there, Aloth, who who took his shot, by the way, and also missed... Um, he becomes injured after, you know, waves of hork have their way with him, as they do. Uh, <laughs> uh, while they're trying to get out, you know, Axe makes a point that Aloth is, is pretty critically injured, but they can also get him out. It's easy enough to get him out. 
And this is where we have that, like, Lion King scar moment where Arbot comes out of left field and just kills one of his own men. And you're like, oh. live the assassin. (laughs) Yeah, basically. Very clearly is like uh, suddenly the bad guy in the situation. Um, And they get out of there, you know, Axe voices his opinion as much so that he's really not happy with how uh, the situation played out. Yeah, it's it's a it's a tense scene where at first like Axe doesn't want to bring it up. He kind of just is like was going to, you know, either ditch them or or just figure out what's going on. But they get into a fight about what happened and that's where it comes out the Axe is like you just killed a loth. Like what well, what's your reasoning for that? And he Arbot almost comes back with a defense that makes sense, but it's 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 too much of a bad guy thing to do to shoot one of your teammates in cold blood, even if you thought they were going to hold you up. Yeah, totally. But, you know, even with that weirdness uh, of what went down and the whole screwing up, it, it was really just to prove Arbat's point and to move along to the next thing is that now he wants to hit the Yurk pool. And that's where he's going to set his sights. Because Axe, you know, tried to sway him away from the work, the, the Yurk pool initially, um, saying it's going to be more likely that Visitor 3 would be at one of these meetings. But now that that's out, uh, Arbat's like, we need access to the Yurk pool. And you get the feeling that, you know, something much bigger is about to go down as well um, on their, the Andalite's end. They're obviously hiding something. And uh, Axe manages to sneak out for a hot moment and grab some fresh air and uh, some chi computer skills to bring back with him. And he brings back Mr. King to the ship um, to help out uh, with some uh, crazy computer hacking. Yeah, holograms, the whole works. You know them chi. So easily mistaken for each other. We'll see. Yeah. But it's it's nice to see them actually helping out uh, because they were helped earlier. Like that's specifically why he says he comes. He can do this for Axis because you helped me out earlier. You know I can I can repay a favor. You know during that Atlantis adventure that at least some readers enjoyed. I'm sure. <laughs> no, during the first part of this book. Yeah, during the first part of the book, which was obviously a callback to the Atlantis book when they were helped <laughs> there. Der. Okay. Do you right. even she? I, I don't. I do not pimolite <laughs> as well as I could. That's unfortunate, dog. <laughs> um, <laughs> anyway. conversation worked. Uh, Just fell apart. But, um, but after hacking the computers, he finds out really what he wanted to, and it's that they're all already marked deceased as far as the Andalites are concerned. And this is very much, very clearly a suicide mission of some sort. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it's something that only Arbat is aware of, as far as they can tell. And um, this leads to Axe, you know, running around the ship and finding Estrid. Um, yeah, where <laughs> again, conveniently enters her, her quarters where, you know, she's working on some evil scientist shit and just happens to be the, the killer new virus that she's working on and almost drops as Axe enters. Yeah, so this is this is the actual plot of the book that we don't have revealed until, you know, three-fourths of the way through the book. And it all kind of, like, locks into place and is well set up and um, 
is a callback to many of the parts of the early series with this with this virus that could just solve all the Andalites' problems. Yeah, and um, you know what? I don't think I don't think I could say that this was like I, I didn't see this coming. You know, this yeah. was a very unexpected turn, and like you said, a callback. Um, it's once again the Andalites just being like, you know what? We've got a, a problem that's getting way out of hand, uh, kind of like that Hork Bajir problem. And and this time we're just gonna nip it in the bud, and it's not like they they explicitly mention like it's it's not necessarily like the council of of Andalites whatever decided to do this. This is more like Arbat kind of taking it upon himself to go do this. Yeah, and I'm gonna take it in my review to talk about how this book fits into the main series overall and and my thoughts on that so let's not talk anymore about its callbacks and things but that my review but um but yeah i i I, this scene makes the book and i think there's another scene coming up that makes it as well um it's this point where you really start to dislike estrid unfortunately (laughs) well yeah she's just uh even though she's a genius she's just crazy uh crazy genius not not just her mom was a strain morphine wise but uh she's studying you know a level of mathematics and physics that aren't even understood by some of the smartest andalites out there yeah the plank rhythmic whatever equations that she mitch can't even pronounce it that's how advanced it is it was it was super difficult to to write about yes (laughs) (laughs) um but so after you see this it all it all falls into place what's going on and uh and and yeah Astrid is creating a new basically Horkbajir virus except for the Yurks and their plan is to wipe out the Yurks and if the humans go with them yeah yeah exactly um so that that of course doesn't really sit right with uh Axe or the readers <laughs> uh, and uh at at this point in the story you know Axe isn't sure what what's really going on but you know He's sure about one thing is that Estrid and Arbat are scheming to use this virus at the Yurk pool. Of that, you can be sure. And Estrid even goes a little power crazy here, which is like super, I thought, over the top villain like. Where she, I didn't think she's, so. I think she's was, like, we could end all war and then we could rule. You know, like. I thought it was a very Andalite. I thought it was a very immature thing to do. I thought it was a very Andalite thing to do. So I could totally see that Arbat has filled her mind with all these ideas to get her to make this virus. And, and part of that is this, is this idea that they can uh, stop all war and all that. I can totally see a young Andalite super prideful and all hyped up on nationalism. Yeah. Oh, Um, totally. I I think that's a really cool angle for it as well. And I wish they'd uh, gotten to work that a little bit more um, cause that's a cool backstory. Uh, cause otherwise it just seems like very, very forced sudden villainy, um, and, and making you not like this character you were starting to like, um, yeah. especially after such a cute, you know, like date scene. Um, it's unfortunate. It, it reminds me of, uh, the, the one character, um, from the Horkbajir Chronicles, the, the Andalite that became the Horkbajir. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Wow, we're gonna get ripped apart by fans by forgetting her name. Um, Me yeah, too. Her. <laughs> <laughs> um, anyway, it's, it all goes to show that uh, they're bad people, 
And yeah. uh, <laughs> just when you thought, you know, Estrid was the worst, Arbat shows up and like out crazies her a whole bunch by locking them all in the ship and then taking the virus and just running away with it. And uh, this is, you know, belly of the whale moment where all hope seems lost. Uh, until, of course, the Animorphs pop up within the room. Start coming out of the walls. <laughs> yeah, revealing that, you know, like time time and time again, you know, they, they're in control of the situation. They're on the scene. They've been there hiding out, waiting and watching as these things yeah. go. And this is where Axe has a little speech where he, he says, you know, he explains to Astrid that, you know, he is his allegiances are to the humans and specifically Prince Jake and and the fight for Earth. Yep, absolutely. And I was going to read it uh, <laughs> unless you wanted to beat me to it, but I've no, already got, I've already got it open. Uh, so Estrid looked at me half amazed, half angry. It was all deception. You mis you misled us. You lied to your own people. I shook my head. No, I have learned something, Estrid. These are my people. Anyone who believes in freedom. Anyone who resists tyranny, anyone who pursues peace is my people. Andalite, Horkbajir, or human. And, uh, you know, that, that changed the, uh, the races at the end of that quote. And I think this could be a very strong uh, quote contender for validity and, and meaning, especially this day and age. Yeah, it's, it's, it's got something to say to all of us. Um, or at least those of us who are planning on turning against our race, our <laughs> humanity. Perhaps. Uh, it goes a step further and says, you know, things like race uh, aren't important in the long run, and what is important is is the side that actually has the just goals and uh, will will provide peace. And look at me getting all, all uh, sentimental and... Well, it goes it goes even further than that in saying that it doesn't matter what your race is or or what your species is. It's the people that are close to you and the cause that you stand up for that makes you a family. This is basically like the Fast and the Furious 9 up in here. Um, <laughs> yeah, kind of. You know, this is this Axe has a, a family, he has a shorm and it's all humans, you know. That's that's who he's close to. Yeah, exactly. You get the feeling that he never really had any friends where he came from. All he ever talks about very briefly are his his parents and brother. Um, and you know, he's he's apparently very young and uh, was just hanging out on his ship. Um, uh, anyway, uh, I think I had a thing I wanted to read. Oh, it's where, uh, you know, the team kind of regroups here and uh, the Animorphs decide they've got to go down into the Yerk Pool, obviously. Um, and they've described going down the steps into the Yerk Pool like several times now in these books. And they, they Aldrea. always... Aldrea. Sorry, I just remembered. <laughs> Aldrea. Aldrea. Princess Aldrea. Thank you. Um and, and I feel like they, they finally managed to outdo themselves on the going down the steps to the Yerk pull scene this time by literally having Axe like tr- slip and fall down some stairs into and on a, a pile of like disemboweled uh, chunks, chunks of flesh, gore, piles of quiver, quivering entrails. 
Evidence of a recent Texan feeding. Well, they say evidence of a recent Texan feeding frenzy. But what were they feeding on? Dude, you, you gotta believe it. it's gotta be human as well. Maybe. As, they're not gonna waste hosts, though. I don't know, man. Maybe some of them are, you know, they make a break for it. Uh, maybe one of them gets cut in the process or taxing goes crazy. Even scarier. What if, um, you know, a, a taxon was alone with like a human host or something. And that's like a big no, no around taxons where if they're, if they think they're hidden enough, they'll take advantage of it and take you out. That's terrifying. That could be too. Yeah, absolutely. Either way, X slips and, and rolls around in some guts and stuff. And, uh, the, the mental image was not a pleasant one. <laughs> and while they're there, you know, they've all got to be in human morph to kind of blend in as is the look there. Um, trying to look casual by looking not casual or something. Uh, they, they managed to spot our bat who's in this like throwaway human morph. Throwaway yeah, account. They, they notice <laughs> they notice him by him. He's acting uh, way different than all the other humans. He's using his he's entire looking like, around head, a lot. Yeah, yeah, his head to turn shifty, which head. is like a very andalite thing to do when you're in human morph for the first time. But of course, he's going to like the most central location in the Yurk pool, which is like the big pure uh, with the virus. And uh, you know, since we're getting towards the end of the book, the the action's going to move a lot quicker here and. Pretty soon a big fight breaks out and everyone goes in their their battle morphs and uh, they're all just trying to get to Arbat before he can release the virus. It's like one of those big tense, you know, chase scenes. Well, I like this scene, too, is if, you know, we're already starting to not like Estrid now, but it gets to a point where when it's time to fight, she like tries to hide and it wants to actually just hide with her. And he just immediately is like. If there was a point that I liked you, I, I do not like you now. Yeah, she acts like the uh, princess from Spaceballs, I think. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, uh, yeah, Axe very much leaves her behind at one point, and the chase kind of comes down to him and Arbat, um, and they have a little confrontation moment. Um, but, uh, 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 <laughs> Estrid actually comes back and ends up helping Axe a little bit because Arbat's about to release the virus and then she freaking shoots his hand off. <laughs> yeah, destroying the virus in the process, not releasing it, thankfully. Yes, exactly. Uh, she's a sure shot. Um, and then Gonrod comes back in like a very, I don't know what, like, what's a movie where somebody uh, flies Star Wars. a spaceship to save the day? Star yeah, Wars. Let's the original a, Star let's, Wars. Let's do a less obvious one. It's, no, this is a perfect Star Wars moment because it's it's literally Han Solo coming back to the Millennium Falcon and say, you've got the shot, kid. Take it. You know, like, you know, he bursts a hole through the top of the Yerk pool and comes riding down the ship. It's amazing. Yeah, but it's it's just too obvious and too easy at this point to keep well, referencing what, Star what Wars. Sci-fi. There's gotta be another science fiction movie where a ship blasts through, you know, some outer hole and comes in and saves the heroes. Firefly. I'm sure it, it did it multiple times throughout it. You know, there every, you sci- go. every sci-fi series has that scene where they, they think they're super in trouble. And then the giant ship comes out from the ravine and cowboy bebop ramp. all the times that happened there. <laughs> yeah there you go maybe i don't know outlaw star there you go for sure <laughs> at one point the ships had arms in that one it had to have happened <laughs> it flipped them off as it did it 
pretty much. Um, yeah, so the the they get in there, the spaceship, and everybody gets out. And, you know, I was really expecting the Animorphs to show up and, and bail Axe out of this one. Um, but besides getting him, like, out of that ship there, uh, he was very much kind of on his own, I felt like, in the Yerk pool after they, they split up there. Well, I like that this book's all about role reversals. You know, you start out like an Astrid, and then you don't like her. Uh, you get excited about the Analytes, and they turn out the bad guys. And you don't like Gonrad throughout this entire book, or Gonrod throughout this entire book. And then here at the end, he really he really saves the day. Yeah, they did a good 180 with his character, especially knowing that he's like a coward traitor who runs away at first sight. Yeah. Uh, knowing that he did that. Um, and then it's, you know, one of the most uh, cruel moments, I think, in, in Animorphs history, leaving Arbat uh, on the pier, uh, susceptible to taxon bites <laughs> with his bleeding arm stump. And, uh, you know, Axe just totally, they all leave him there to die. I mean, it's its really what he deserved, but... Yeah. And it, it definitely uh, clears their tracks, you know, as far as the Animorphs are concerned. It makes sure the uh, Yerks don't get another Andalite host body. So, so I, I really wish, uh, this would have been dark, but... Um I, you know, we're talking about the Visor 3's perspective on, like, this storyline. Uh, how it was, like, a big reveal that his brother was there fighting on Earth with the Andalite bandits. Mm-hmm. And uh, how amazing would it have been if at the end of the series, when the Yurk is, uh, Visitor 3 is finally taken out of Alaron's body, Alaron would look around really excited and be like, is my brother here? Did he help you guys get onto the ship? And they're like, ooh, yeah, we left him to get eaten alive by Taxons. Uh, <laughs> sorry about that i i somehow don't think it'd go quite like that but yeah that would that would be a pretty hilarious scene you could could write that short yeah exactly (laughs) fanfic um yeah and you know that that's almost all of the book they they get estra to cinnabon to go which i thought was very nice all things considered and uh uh she kind of gives him the opportunity to say, hey, you can come back with us. We'll return you to some other Andalites. And he uh, outright refuses, which I thought is very cool of him. Like, I can't go back with you. Uh, I, I love the humans, and I love their Cinnabons too much. And I, I don't like Estrid anymore, as, as I, I know, it comes to. <laughs> I know that they don't want these ghostwritten books to really mix up the series or like mess with their formula but i really at the end of this book wanted gonrod and estrid to stay and become characters um like maybe even not within the you know animorphs inner circle but be like another eric king or um uh be like the free hork who's someone who comes in every once in a while and has their own little subplot or something um that would be interesting to have them uh, become recurring characters. Yeah, and maybe not Gonrod, but it would be amazing if Estrid like joined the Animorphs and they had two Andalites on there and it, they could continue this because I think they they did a really good uh, setup with her character and how Axe doesn't like her anymore. So it'd be really great to have her like on the team and it'd be like this Rachel Markle Ra- uh, Rachel Marco dynamic where like they can't stand each other but they have to work together. Dude, they could do an awesome love triangle. Estrid, Axe, Marco. (laughs) Or Estrid, Axe, and Tobias. There you go. 
Jack. Ooh, oh my god, I love Square. <laughs> um, Everybody no, loves Estrid. Yeah, I just think that would have been it would have been really interesting, and it ha- I guess they couldn't because she's like this genius, and that would have been really hard to write. Um, but yeah, I don't know. But okay, so the cool thing about this, the end here, uh, we mentioned it before. The they mentioned going out for burgers and Tobias says it's gotta be Burger King because I blew up the McDonald's <laughs> and, and that's kind of funny although the the book ends on a very bittersweet uh, note that I, I quite liked um, just the last couple sentences here we walked along the dark streets my friends and I my more than friends we laughed so relieved to simply be alive we joked Cassie held my hand, and in the darkness where no one could see, I cried. Wow, Axe, laying on the low-key hurt. Yeah, well, I mean, Axe, even in Human Morph, doesn't show a lot of emotion. So that's that's really telling of how he's feeling here at the end of this book. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, Axe, Axe books in general are always a treat. Always great to get that alien perspective. But I, I honestly felt like in this book, he felt more human than he ever has. And I feel like, you know, he's going to get closer to that come towards the end of the series. I'm going to go a step further and say, this is the best written axe book we've ever had. Uh, yeah. Oh, sure. Until we get to, uh, uh, some of the ones coming up. (laughs) I don't know if I've read those. Oh man. Well, you're going to dig them. (laughs) You're going to dig them. Good, sir. So, uh, Going into the reviewing scoring session here, um, how, how would you like to do this? Would you like me to lead off? Yeah, go ahead. Start I us out, I, I, and then maybe you can elaborate a little bit, because I think, obviously, we both feel very uh, uh, positive about this one. Um, it's given us a lot of stuff that we've been missing from the series so far, that being some actual yeah, solid I'm... character development. Hey, this is my <laughs> review, not your... Oh, speak- sorry, I thought, you were, I thought we were talking. I thought this is still part of just us talking back and forth. No, sorry. I'm starting my review. Is there something you want to add before I start it? No, I was just, just going to say that <laughs> what you just said, that we... Um... Okay, well, if it doesn't have anything to do with my review, I don't care. So Okay, well, go ahead. Fine. <laughs> you just say, okay, I'm going to go first, and you, then you start your review. You don't just launch into it when we're still talking. <laughs> well, it seemed to me like we were done. <laughs> go, just go. <laughs> I've lost my train of thought. Uh, <laughs> we, had, we had some excellent... Actual character development, uh, by far from Axe, as well as, you know, some subtle stuff from the rest of the team. Not too much. Um, more background information on the overall war efforts and what the Andalites are doing. But like I said, at this point, it's it's starting to feel a little bit like stalling with the whole, they're not coming. Unless the next book starts to shift their focus. Because the, the, what this book really didn't do in the end was leave off with a conversation about what the team is actually going to do now. Um, I guess it's assumed that they're going to continue just fighting as they have been. Um, but now that they are more aware of the fact that the Andalites aren't coming to bail them out, how is that going to change their tactics? That could be really interesting moving forward. Um, not really addressed in this book, unfortunately. Uh, besides that, uh, like I said, just a very, very unique and original plot as far as these uh, stories have been going recently. 
Um, it was cool to see some more Andalites thrown into the mix. And although their whole team dynamic felt very off the entire book, uh, it, it did wrap itself up and, and manage to uh, work itself out in the end in a way that I thought was satisfactory. Um, it, it's, it's just a, a decent book, an overall good book. Um, I, it's, it's hard to talk you know, so much positive and negative about it. Um, which I'm sure you'll do a little bit more in depth, but I'm just going to go ahead and throw a score out there. This thing gets uh, uh, four out of five relic rivers, and uh, uh, I, I highly enjoyed it. Like I said, it's been the best book we've been uh, we've read in a while with these things. That was literally the words I had highlighted in the notes to use as my scoring system. What relic river? Too bad for yeah. you. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, I can talk now. I'm good. Oh, absolutely. Your review is beginning now. Okay. Well, um, yeah, I was trying not to, um, let the refreshingness of this book not flavor my review too much. Like I think it could be very easy to, you know, go through a few books that are less than good or even flat out bad. And then you get to a halfway decent book and you're just like, Whoa, amazing um but i really think that there's some there's some interesting arcs going on here i think structurally the book is uh really well done with these uh turns of character and and plot and and the setup you know it makes it simple enough for younger readers to follow but also has a pretty intricate plot um with with people changing sides or allegiances not known and and uh the reveal of who these characters are could have been just like a very um, out of nowhere um, set up but I think they, they lay the groundwork early in the book to make it believable and, and when you find out who these Andalites are um, it's it's genuinely surprising and makes sense and uh, makes you excited to see more of their character where they're going to go I, I was honestly really uh, upset that these characters aren't probably going to come back and they're not a part of the Earth Force now and uh, I liked that they survived and didn't just get wiped out at the end of the book. Uh, so I was sad to see them go. Um, so generally, I, I, I think this is a great axe book. Like I said, I think it's the best axe book so far. Um, and mostly because it deals with everything. He's His, his ongoing struggle of uh, who are my people, it kind of brings that to a resolution. Um, him waiting for Andalites to come back. It's actually a pretty big book for the series in general. Um with them kind of coming to terms with the fact that Andalites are, are not coming back, or if they do, it's not someone we can rely on, uh, which makes this book incredibly important to the overall um, mythology of the series. Um, it's, it's It had a lot more going on than I was expecting. I think to, to tie into what you said in your review, I think you could have that ending scene... Um, of this book with Cassie holding his hand and everything. And you could play as you, as the crane pulls up of them walking down the dark street. Um, you could have, I think we're alone now, the song playing, um, over top of it. And that'd be just perfect for both Axe's storyline and the Animorphs. Uh, it's really just them that it's just them against the Yerks. Oh, I'd, Um, I'd be playing bittersweet symphony. No, 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 it's too, too over the top. (laughs) Also my review, shut up. Um, (laughs) so everybody gets one. Yeah. So the big thing I want to go to my review though, and, and this was a solid 
four out of five for me. I was sitting there like, you know, this is great. This is really well written. Uh, four out of five. Yeah, that's that's a good score. Uh, but as we were talking about it and, and as I thought more about it, uh, this something popped out to me that really made this book even bigger in the overall storyline. And I think that's its callbacks to the Horkbajir Chronicles and how we have this really interesting overall sub-arc to the series now with these events that keep replaying themselves uh, that, that start in the Horkbajir Chronicles with um, Aldrea and uh, Dakami and um, this love story of these two races and, and, and this, uh, this um, connection to the virus and and these horrible genocides that have happened throughout the series and, and the overall mythology and that starts with the Horkbajir Chronicles and then obviously there's the book I can't remember the exact uh, number of them right now but where it's almost like a sequel to the Horkbajir Chronicles um, that deals that was, with the that free was, that was the prophecy that we just read yeah. not too long ago yeah the prophecy or that that brings a lot of those themes back and I think this could almost be a continuation of that series you have you have the horvature chronicles the prophecy and i think this book that continues those themes of uh genocide and and where its place is in war and how how could genocide lead to peace i think it's a crazy interesting and very highbrow through line to have through the series and and even having i think it's a direct callback specifically because of the Astrid love scene or like love plot in this book, how you, you have, you have these characters who care for each other during this plot, uh, of, you know, at one of them deciding on maybe the possible genocide of a species. Um, it really, it really hit me how much of a callback this is to Horkbajir Chronicles and how, how much I thought that was smartly written to be so. Um, so surprisingly to myself, uh, that kicked it up. That kicked it up from a four out of five to a five out of five blown to shit McDonald's. Um, oh wow! Yeah, I, I I really was planning for a strong four out of five, but um, that really made me care for this book more than I thought I would. I I still you know I still feel the uh, four out of five uh, mostly because. There were still a little uh, shortcomings, I felt, from the overall story. Things that I wish they'd have elaborated on. Uh, obviously, I wanted this to be a story about some of the actual Andalite forces returning yeah. to Earth to scope it out and, you know, but that's a different situation your, to arise. That's not really a negative with the book, though. That's, that's more your expectations of what the book could have been. That's true. That's um, true. But... Uh, Likewise, like you had said, it'd be cool if some recurring characters came out of it. Yeah. Um, anything to sort of rejuvenate and refresh the series. Because again, think, it this feels like another stalling maneuver. Yeah, I think the only shortcomings of this book that are actual shortcomings um, are how it's a little obvious that the Animorphs are, are playing a game. They could have done that a little more highbrow but i don't think that's a real shortcoming because i think they did want to keep in mind that there are some younger readers and it would just be confusing to them um if they didn't make that a little more obvious so i, I don't think that's an actual shortcoming just a shortcoming as a 30 year old reading this book <laughs> yeah it had to be over the top in some points just to be painstakingly obvious <laughs> yeah but, but yeah that's, that's... I, I think a 
I think a four out of five is completely reasonable. I, I don't fault you for that score. Uh, no, I, just, I think that's very cool. We actually have a uh, difference in rating opinions for once. Yeah. So that's that's our review of the arrival, which I think is uh, I think is something you should definitely pick up if you're just kind of picking and choosing your way through the ghostwritten books. Oh, absolutely. This is uh, one you'll find enjoyment with, no matter what your expectations are going into it. Now, the next book we're covering, I can honestly say, is one that I've always made a point to skip. Uh, Number 39, The Hidden, with uh, Cassie turning into either a yak or a buffalo. I think it's a buffalo. Oh, I have not... I've not read this one either, but I didn't avoid it on purpose. I just, this is one I can never find in the library. Yeah, I, I believe it's the Buffa Human book, the the notorious Buffa Human storyline. Yeah, I'm, I'm excited to read it and see if that's, again, like Atlantis, it, um, is it something that's actually dumb, or is it something that the fan base has just latched onto and made a meme out of? I don't know. I, I think it might. Uh, my expectations, my hopes going into it are that it's going to do a little bit more to expand on the uh, the old good old uh, hashtag more floor. Um, hopefully, but hopefully we'll it doesn't hashtag break more floor because uh, <laughs> I think that's I think from the way people talk about it, that's what it'll do. Yeah, you might have a point there. It, it might kind of toss it out the window. Um, I, I know that it has to deal. I think with the. Uh, the anti-morph ray or something again. Because um, that's a plot device we love showing up every other book. <laughs> don't quote me on that. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but anyway, that should be a good one. That should be a good one. Yeah, so tune in um, for that episode. It shouldn't be as long of a break. I know we, we say that constantly, but um, there, yeah, there, there should not be specific events that hold us up from recording that. And I think we're both excited to get to it, so... Look out for that in the near future. Watch our social media. Um, definitely check us out on Twitter. Uh, we have a Facebook uh, page as well that's pretty uh, pretty active. Uh, we're always on r slash uh, animorphs on Reddit. Uh, you know, wheeling and dealing on there, talking talking to the fans and the community and, and what's going on there. Um, we'd appreciate it if you checked out our iTunes page, maybe left us a review. We've gotten several in the last few months uh, that have been just, you know, Really, really great to hear. And um, adding a review, it, it might not seem like much, but it really gets the word out on our podcast. We're still a, we're still a very niche podcast, and I'd love to share Animorphs with more people and and uh, get it out there. So leaving us a review is a huge help. Um, of course, as we mentioned at the beginning of the show, you can check us out on patreon.com slash thoughtspeak. Um, you can contribute to the show and help us recover some funds from hosting the website, hosting all these podcasts, uh, buying equipment, all the upkeep that it takes to run a, a, a podcast that we think is a little higher quality because, you know, we want to put that out for you guys and, and have this last into the future. Um, obviously, that costs a little money, so we appreciate anything you can do to help us out there. And the more we see of that, of course, that that helps us want to get episodes out faster and and put new content out there for you. Maybe even some bonus stuff and and some things we haven't tried out in the past. So we appreciate you all. Glad to be back. Love talking about Animorphs. Can't wait to get into this uh, this kind of like final 20 uh, or so books that leads into the ending. Um, Yeah, we'll we'll be sure to we'll be sure to get a countdown at, uh, uh, you know, at least 10 for sure. Maybe 15 will start well, the uh, I, countdown. I think 
isn't 45 a great book to start canning down because you, you get a uh, the first animorph to you know lose his home um i think that's a really good countdown spot uh yeah or maybe when the back of the book uh blurbs change to the the final countdown uh it's like the final four or something that's not as fun um, oh is it i thought they did more than that i thought it was like the last 10 maybe we'll see um but anyway i'm i'm excited for that there's there's some books even in that ending that i haven't read i've read like the last three and i don't think i read any further back than that absolutely absolutely we've got good things to look forward to and especially a couple books coming up i know i'm really excited for so Uh, the olympus chronicles coming up too what yeah like way way i mean that's our penultimate episode i don't care really that's that's a book to get excited about. I don't care that's, if it's that's years still away. a good like I don't know fifteen twenty episodes or more <laughs> away. So I can still be excited about it. Don't tell me how to we'll gauge see. my excitement. We'll see. Anyway, we great podcast. Enjoy talking about the arrival. Love this book. Everybody loves it. We all love you. Uh, let's <laughs> just call. Let's call it a night. A plug's accomplished. Well done. We'll see you back here next time, folks. Same thought speak time. Same thought speak place. I've been your host, Mitchell. And I'm Coleman. And we love you. We'll see you next time.